everyone. Welcome to Gateway Church. We're so glad you're here. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, we are one body in Christ and we are Gateway together. Yeah, so we're about to get kicked off with worship. And so if you're there at home or you're here in the building with us, will you just lean in with all that you've got and let's get ready to praise Jesus together.
the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken We say Oh, cause fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your life Fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your life Fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your life Shame no longer has a place to hide Stand.
Say amen to that. You know, we've been through an interesting season. I call it a wonky season because it's just been everything doesn't seem stable if you look at what's going on in the world. But when I look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, it says that there is one foundation. It's been there from the beginning, and that foundation is Jesus. He's never shaken by the circumstances that are going on in our world. And the reality is, the reality is, is now is the best time ever for us to turn our eyes on Him and to look to Him and to know that He cannot, will not, never has failed. Can you say amen to that? And you know, I think about when when Matt, my son was a little boy, he would want to pull my face so that I would be staring at him straight into his eyes. He didn't want me to get distracted by the things around me. I believe that it's a season where the Lord is just pulling our face back to him saying, I want you to look at me. I want you to get your eyes off the things of the world because they just bring anxiety and fear. But when you look into the eyes of Jesus, there is peace. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? So right now, I just want you just to stretch your arms open wide and I want you to just say, Lord, my eyes are on you. Just say that, Lord, my eyes are on you. Say that again. My eyes are on you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of it will grow strangely in the light of his glory and grace come on let's sing that again Jesus, Jesus, how I trust. 
know, I love that song because it's a beautiful reminder of the reality that when Jesus shows up, when his presence walks into the room, fear has to go. Amen? But isn't fear creepy? Isn't fear sneaky? You know, and oftentimes fear is crippling. Look what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Maybe some of you in this room, maybe some of you watching online, 2020 has been a year of fear and anxiety weighing you down. But God doesn't leave us in that place. When Jesus shows up, look what happens. The Bible goes on to say, but a good word makes him glad. Church, yeah, we can praise him for that because here's the reality. The reality is this. That good word is Jesus. The Bible says that he's the word of God. And when his name is spoken into the darkness, darkness doesn't overcome it. The light, the word, Jesus has overcome fear in your life. There's a, there's a song I used to uh, sing when I was a kid and now I get to sing it with my kids and it goes like this, just say the name of Jesus. Just say the name of Jesus. When you don't know what else to pray and you don't have the words to say, just say the name Jesus. Church, I believe that in this moment we can lift our hearts, we can lift our hands and just say the name. Would you do that with me right there at home and right here in the room? Would you just say the name Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. Yes, Heavenly Father, we lift up the name today of Jesus and we thank you. God, we thank you that it's the name above every name. God, we thank you that when your presence walks into this room, fear must go, anxiety must go, doubt, confusion must go, the weight of the world, the weight of 2020 must go in the name of Jesus because of the presence of Jesus. In your name we pray and everybody said amen. Can we just give Jesus one more shout of praise in this house? Amen, amen. We have an amazing time coming up. Pastor Jimmy Evans is gonna be preaching an amazing message. Uh, but before we get uh, to hear the message, we're not gonna turn around and give high fives, but what you can do is you can turn around and give some air high fives and maybe some air hugs in this place. Hey, we're so happy you're here. Thanks for joining us. God bless. places online in person or in smaller groups but we know God can move wherever we are here are a few things you need to know about church there are so many ways you can connect with your gateway community gateway groups are back in session and meeting in person or online you can also follow us on social media join your campus Facebook group visit gatewaypeople.com connect or text connect to 71010 
We're always posting encouraging content, and we also have online classes, ways you can help others, worship videos, and other information available. We currently don't have kids or student services in person yet, but we still have great online service experiences created just for them. There's cool videos, social media hangouts, games, powerful worship, and encouraging words. To check out all our kids and student service options, visit gatewaypeople.com connect. If you are on site at a Gateway campus, our offering boxes are open and envelopes are available. You can also give online at gatewaypeople.com giving or on our mobile app. We also want you to know that if you need prayer for any reason right now, text prayer to 71010. We have prayer teams from every campus ready and waiting to pray with you. If you want to join us in person next time, don't forget to check out our recommendations for health and safety at gatewaypeople.com. No matter where we gather, online or in person, here or there, we're Gateway together. Thanks for joining us today. Here at Gateway, our heart is that all of our Jewish brothers and sisters would know their Messiah and that those who already believe would come to know Him in a deeper, more meaningful way. Join us once a month for our Friday evening Shabbat service. It's a time where people of all backgrounds can come together in community and worship the one true God, the God of Israel. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, uh, to the church this weekend. We're so glad that you're with us. All the services, all the campuses, we are so glad that you're here. I was driving uh, to church this afternoon, and my car temperature gauge said 109. That's hot. So we're having a, we're having a hot August, but uh, glad you're with us. Let me say, I think you just saw the ad there, but on September 18th, that's a Friday evening at 7 p.m., we have a big worship service at Texas Motor Speedway. You need to register your car. You can go on right now, online right now, and you can register your car. It's going to be a lot of folks. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity to worship the Lord together. Uh, Tipping Point Book, I'm finishing my Tipping Point series this weekend. Tipping Point Book uh, is available $10 either at the campuses, if you're at the campuses, or you can text STORE to 71010. It's $10, including shipping. Let me say one more time, we have a website called endtimes.com, and on that website, I write two or three articles a week and also do podcasts related to the end times. That's every week. And so it's $7 a month or $77 a year for that, but it's 30-day free trial. So if you want to go on there and try it out, it's the Tipping Point Prophecy Update. You can go on there absolutely free. You can read all of our archives and see everything that we do. But a lot of people, you know, rather than just listening to a series every now and then, they like the constant updates. Let me give you an example. I wrote an article this week on the Sanhedrin in Israel. Uh, last week, they requested from Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu and the Israeli government 
They requested on the Feast of Trumpets this year that they can go on the Temple Mount and blow the shofar for the first time in almost 2,000 years. And those kinds of things, this, this is prophecy right in your face. This is fulfilled prophecy. And so these kind of things are happening all the time. So I write about it and blog about it. My daughter and I are about to start a weekly uh, a podcast called Standing for Truth. This is on endtimes.com. And we're talking about the current you know, erosion of moral values in America and how we as Christians can stand up for the truth in the face of everything that's happening. So it's endtimes.com if that's interests you and all that. Uh, let, me, let me say a couple of things uh, before I preach. One is, last week I, I was preaching on the age of accountability, and I was talking about I felt like the age of accountability was 13 because that's when a Jewish boy, a Jewish girl, turns, uh, becomes an adult and they become accountable for their own behavior. I think I said that Jesus was 13 years old when he went to the temple with his parents and he stayed behind. He was 12. Luke chapter 2 says he was 12. So sorry for any confusion. My point there was he was about to become an adult and rather than staying back out of rebellion, he stayed back out of the sense that I'm now a man and I'm able to make my own decisions. But he was 12 years old, according to Luke 2. Uh, I've asked four questions over the last four weeks. Uh, and, you know, when did the end begin? Uh, what time is it uh, right now? What is the rapture of the church? This week, my question is, how do I prepare for Jesus' return? Okay, so how do, this is the most important question uh, that I'm asking in this entire series. How can we know for sure that we're prepared for the return of Jesus? How do we know for sure that we're prepared for the rapture and we won't be left behind? How can we be confident to meet Jesus when he returns and how can we help our children and our family members and friends prepare for the return of Jesus? And the good thing is there's an entire chapter in the Bible in the book of Matthew on how to prepare for the return of Jesus. And so we're gonna begin reading here in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, when are you gonna return and what are the signs of your coming? So Matthew 24, Jesus goes into detail about all the signs of the end times, many of which we've already seen come true and others we're seeing come true right now. Jesus goes into all the signs of the end times, then he makes a transition. And he makes a transition from the signs of the times to being ready when he comes. So we're gonna begin reading Matthew 24, verse 37. It says, "When this, this is Jesus talking, when the Son of Man returns. Listen, he didn't say if, he said when. And I'm telling you, Jesus is returning. He told us he was coming back. It will be like the days of Noah in those days before the flood. Now, I've been preaching to you for the last four weeks, and I've been comforting you. We're not going to go through the tribulation. Jesus is going to come and rapture us before the last seven years, which are the worst seven years. And Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, it's going to be like the days of Noah before the flood, not during the flood, not after the flood, before the flood. The people were enjoying banquets and parties, and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. This is now the rapture. This is, he's describing the rapture. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken. The word taken there is the word paralambano. In the Greek, it means to receive unto yourself. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father's house to prepare a mansion for you. And as surely as I go away, I'm going to return to receive you unto myself. That's what this word means. One will be taken, the other left. It's a selective rapture. God knows who belongs to him. And so he's gonna come and take those who belong to him. Two women will be grinding at the mill, grinding flour at the mill. One taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, 
He would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and find that servant, uh, find that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is explicit here, and he's saying, I'm coming back at a time when there will be business as usual. They'll be buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage, just like the days of Noah before the flood. Now, by the way, I just want to say, this is the world we're living in right now. Noah and his family looked like a bunch of idiots. It was absurd. He's building a giant ship on dry land, and there's never been rain on the earth. I mean, they just looked like a bunch of idiots. But the ark itself was a testimony of coming judgment. And I'm saying God has sent preachers like me all around the world preaching about a coming judgment. And we're mocked. Many of you are mocked because you believe that Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, on the day the, the ark door was closed and the rain started, Noah looked like a genius. And all the mockery was worth it because his family was rescued off the earth. And so will you. Don't be discouraged by what people say about you. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It matters what God says about you. And Jesus said, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. It's going to be just like the days of Lot. There's going to be a business as usual atmosphere, but then judgment is coming because I'm going to take one and leave the other. The one that is left is going to stay in the judgment. The one that is taken is going to be rescued from judgment. And so then Jesus in Matthew 25, the entire, and remember, the Bible didn't have chapters and verses when it was written. And so Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are all Jesus talking about the end times. Matthew 24, he's talking about the signs of the times. But in Matthew 25, he tells two parables and a true story, and they all have to do with how to prepare for the return of Jesus. This is all he's talking about. And so we're going to talk about the two parables in the story, and I'm going to give you six words, only six words. How do I prepare for the return of Jesus? I'm going to give you six simple words to remember and you will be prepared for the return of Jesus. This is the first parable that Jesus tells. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some, your, some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in uh, with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. And so here are my first two words. How do I prepare for the return of Jesus? Here are my first two words. Know Jesus. When the five foolish bride, bridesmaids were standing outside the door and wanted to get, it, get in, the Lord said to them, I just don't know you. It's all about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are ready 
for his return. If you don't have a personal relationship with him, you are not ready for his return. And so this, by the way, Jesus is prophesying when he returns, half the church will be false. Five wise, five foolish. The, all of the virgins represent the church. These are people who associate themselves with Jesus and they believe that they belong to him. And Jesus is saying here, when I return, half the church will be false. Let me say, I don't know the math and I don't know all the percentages. Look at how much of the church in America has defected from the Bible. Have become very liberal, very, very, not just non-biblical, anti-biblical and hostile toward the Bible. And so I believe right now, if Jesus returned, these kinds of percentages are there. So, so how do we know that we can be prepared? No, Jesus. Well, let me give you seven signs that you're a true believer in Jesus. Okay, so this is one of the most important messages some of you will ever hear in all of eternity. How do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm a true believer in Jesus? Number one, you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life. Number two, you believe Jesus is the only way of salvation. So this is Romans 10, 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is, it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Well, first of all, we have to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We have to come and surrender our lives to him and submit to his authority. Secondly, we have to believe that he's the only way to God the Father. One of the main heresies that is in the church today is called universalism. And universalism says this, it doesn't matter if you're a Satanist. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Muslim or what. All roads lead to the same path and you're gonna be saved regardless of what you believe. Everyone's saved. So here's what that means. See, the resurrection of Jesus said two things. Jesus was the son of God, that's what he said, and his death atoned for our sins, and God the Father raised him from the dead to attest to the fact that the Lamb of God took away all of our sins. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, what you're saying effectively is, I don't believe that Jesus' death was the only way to, the, to God the Father. And so these are two conditions. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. So let's just stop just a minute. And if you feel comfortable doing this, I'm asking everyone to do this wherever you are. And so just, just repeat after me. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is my Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You're saved. Okay. If, if you, isn't that wonderful? Okay, let me go to number three. Number three, sign that you're a true believer. Your life has changed since accepting Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that there, there's a change. When I was 19 years old, I got saved. I'm, I'm telling you before I got saved, I just didn't have a conscience. I mean, I just did the worst things on earth. I just didn't have a conscience. I never felt bad. I felt good. I mean, I do something really bad and I feel good. And I was just immoral, I was rebellious, and I had a horrible mouth. I just had a very dirty mouth. And I got saved uh, a, a week before Karen and I got married. And Karen and I came back from our honeymoon, and one of the things that I noticed is when I said a bad word, I felt bad about it. I, I would become convicted. And so I stopped cursing. And when I stopped cursing, I just thought, I'm, I think I'm like Mother Teresa now. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm pretty much there. <laughs> I don't cuss anymore. Now, 
Not on the golf course, I still struggle on the golf course, but I did <laughs> overall. Okay. So here's my point. Has your life changed since you got saved? Have you seen it? It doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect, but has anything changed? Okay. Number four, you hear God's voice. Do you hear God's voice? Do you, do you at least sense his presence? Is there any sense that God is interacting with you? So this is John 10. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. So I got saved in my friend's bathroom uh, the night after my bachelor party, which was a horrible situation. And uh, I woke up uh, and walked into my friend's bathroom, and I I had, I had too high of self-esteem. I never had a day of low self-esteem in my life, and except that morning. And because of all the things I had done the night before, I remember walking in my friend's bathroom and looking in the mirror, and, uh, and I just thought, I don't, I, don't, I don't respect you. You know, especially because I was about to marry Karen and all this stuff. And I just thought, I just don't respect you. And I had heard the gospel. I had never, I had never responded to the gospel. And here was my theory. If I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to become, I'm going to become a real Christian. If, if I'm going to say it, I'm going to mean it. And so in my friend's bathroom that morning, uh, I said, Jesus, I'll serve you for the rest of my life, and I'll never turn back. And at that instant, I heard these words, never see your friends again. Never see your friends again. No one ever taught me about hearing God. No, no one ever told me I should hear God. But the instant I received Jesus, that voice has guided me up to this platform right now. For the last 47 years, I've heard that voice, that still small voice. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was sitting in our backyard uh, reading a book, I think it was by Billy Graham, and the Lord called me into the ministry, spoke to me and called me into the ministry. I actually had a vision, the Lord called me into the ministry. The Lord, the Lord, aren't you glad that the Lord speaks to us? And so I'm saying to you, if you're a Christian, there should be some sense of God's voice in your life. And God speaks your language, okay? He doesn't speak to you necessarily the way he speaks to me, but he speaks your language. He, he knows how to speak to you. Number five, you believe you're saved by grace and not by works or being a good person. Uh, this is a, George Barna is a Christian researcher, and he just released a new report about Christians and what they believe. Listen to this, I'm quoting from George Barna. Slightly over half of Christian respondents say they believe someone can attain salvation by being or doing good. A figure that includes 46% of Pentecostals, 44% of mainline Protestants, 41% of evangelicals, and 70% of Catholics. Remember Jesus' percentage, by the way? Half of Christians believe that they can go to heaven by being good. Here's what that means. You just think that Jesus' death was unnecessary. You don't need Jesus. You're so good, you really don't need Jesus. He needs you. Well, you know, we're only good because we compare ourselves with each other. But God doesn't compare us with each other. He compares us to the Son of God. And compared to Jesus, there is none good, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. My grandmother, when I think of being goodness, I think about my mamaw Wells. This is my mother's mother. Just the most wonderful, good human being you could ever meet. 
Uh, stayed with her all the time. She was a precious woman. And she loved to play games. Uh, we played canasta. Anybody play canasta? Okay. Chinese checkers. Dominoes. Well, my grandmother would play games for hours. She just absolutely loved to play games. And, and, and the problem was she cheated. <laughs> she cheated. Terrible. So my cousins and I would be playing with her, and she wasn't good at cheating. I mean, she, she was just terrible at it. She'd just reach over and grab something. Do that. So my cousins and I would say, uh, Mama, are you cheating? Oh, she got mad. Oh, she got mad. And then she would lie about her cheating. <laughs> my grandmother was a liar, a liar and a cheat related to playing games. And I'm ashamed to say. But you know, I'm, let me tell you why she's in heaven. Because we're saved by grace and not by works. <laughs> and no one's good enough to get to heaven, including my mamma Wells. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And let me say something very simply. You're either saved by grace or you're not saved. And if you think you're a good person and that gets you saved, you're not saved. You don't know Jesus. I'm telling you right now. Number six, way that you know you're a, a true Christian. You receive God's word. John 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. Okay, let me go back to the Barna survey here for just a minute. I'm going to quote Barna survey here. In addition to the viewpoint that eternal salvation can be earned, survey results show that 58% of Americans believe that no absolute moral truth exists and that the basis of truth are factors or sources other than God. 77% said that right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. 59% said the Bible is not God's authoritative and true word. And 69% said people are basically good. The vast majority of Americans do not believe there are absolute moral, moral laws. Let me just say it. This is absolute and it's absolute truth. It's absolute. Listen. In John 1 and Revelation 19, Jesus is called the word of God. When you don't have a relationship with the word, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. To the degree that this turns you off, to the degree that this embarrasses you, to the degree that you disagree with this or reject this, it's a warning sign. And Jesus said to the Jews, let me just tell you why you can't receive truth, because it, my word has no place in you. Do you accept God's word? Do you have faith in God's word? It's, 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 it's a big deal, okay? Number seven. You love God's family. Here's another way that you know that you're a true believer in Jesus. You love God's family, the church. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. 
1 John 4, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we also have from him that he who loves God must also love his brother. And so if it doesn't mean, you know, we're all imperfect people. No one's perfect. I'm not trying to say that. But if you're a true Christian, you love God's family. You know, you have, a, you have a concern and a compassion for fellow believers. And Jesus said, if you love each other, that's the way the world is going to know that you're my disciples. And if you say that you hate your brother who you see, but you love me who you haven't seen, you're deceived. Because if we genuinely love God, we're, we're going to have some of these factors in our life. So I'm, I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? It's the first parable that Jesus told because it's the most important point. This is a heaven or hell thing. And so, do you know Jesus? Let me, let me tell you the second parable uh, because I want to save a little bit of time. I'm, I'm running short on time. The second parable that Jesus told, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went on a far journey. And he came to his servants and he gave one man five talents. A talent was an enormous amount of money. He gave one man five talents, one man two talents, one man one talent. And after his long journey, he came back to hold them into an account. And the man who had the five talents came back and said, Master, you gave me five talents. I've, I have invested your five talents and I've made five more talents. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The man with two talents came and said, master, I took your two talents and invested them and I made two more talents. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The man with one talent came and said, I, did, I knew you to be a hard man. You're an austere man. You reap where you didn't sow. You gather where you didn't scatter. And when you left, I took your talent and I hid it in the ground. And the master of that servant said, you wicked and lazy servant, you should have taken my talent and invested it so that when I came back, you would have showed me a profit. You take that man and cast him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's the next two words I have for you. The first two words are serve Jesus, or, or no Jesus. The second two words are serve Jesus. The purpose of your life is to serve Jesus. We have talents that come from God. They don't come from us. And when Jesus comes back, he's gonna hold us into an account for how we've used the talents that he's given us. Let me go back to Barna's survey for just a minute. I'm quoting. If you look at some of the dominant elements in the American mind and heart today as illuminated by the inventory, most people believe that the purpose of life is feeling good about yourself. The purpose of our lives is to glorify God and to expand his kingdom. But most people today believe the purpose of my life is to feel good about myself. In the Lord's Prayer, the disciples said, Jesus, tell us how to pray. And Jesus taught them how to pray, a daily prayer. And at the end of the prayer, it says, yours is the kingdom, not a kingdom, the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Now, this is a prayer that I pray every day. I pray through this every day. And so here's what I say at the end of my prayer. I serve your kingdom by your power and for your glory. The purpose of my life is not to glorify Jimmy Evans or to feel good about myself. The purpose of my life is to take the talents that God has given me and to use those to show God the highest profit I can show him. Because when he returns, I will be accountable for what I've done with my life. And I'm asking you a question, what is the purpose of your life? Is the purpose of your life to accumulate money? Is the purpose of your life to be popular or to be comfortable? And I hope, you, I hope all good things for you. But I'm saying at the end of your life, there will be an accountability. And Jesus told this story for that purpose. Okay, and let me just say, most people aren't in the ministry like I am. Most, most people, you know, you have a job, whatever you do for your job. And I want to say to you, wherever you are, you serve Jesus. 
when I got saved, uh, I worked for my uncle in the appliance and electronics business. And um, I decided that I was going to be a Christian salesman. I was a salesman. But I decided I wasn't going to be a salesman. I was going to be a Christian salesman. Wherever I go, I'm there to represent Jesus first. And so there were four salesmen. We all had little cubicles we sat in. And I had a Bible. I didn't know. I probably knew two scriptures. I, did, I was like 20, 21 years old. I didn't know anything in the Bible. But I put it on my desk, and I would read it sometimes through the day. Well, the guy in the cubicle next to me was a raging atheist. And the presence of my Bible on my desk drove him absolutely nuts. So I kept that Bible on my desk, and he, uh, he would go crazy. And he would curse God, and he said, you know what, that Bible of yours is a bunch of nonsense. You know that, there's nothing in that Bible that's true. And he would say, the Bible has all kinds of errors in it. And I said, like, what? Well, I didn't know. And he would say, this and this and this and this. Well, by the way, and just for all the young people here, we didn't have internet. I couldn't sit there and Google it, okay? We didn't have smartphones. Um, and so when I left there, here's what I thought. I'm not gonna let people talk bad about my Lord and I, me not respond. I'm not sitting back and taking it. Okay, but I was always nice to him. I wasn't unkind. But what I thought is, I don't know how to respond to him, but I'm, I'm gonna go home and find how, out how to respond to him and I'm gonna come back and tell him why he's wrong. So I went to the bookstore, to the Christian bookstore. And I went up to the manager at the bookstore and I said, I work with a guy and he's telling me all kinds of errors in the Bible and stuff like that. And so he said, well, read this book. Uh, and so I read this book and this book was wonderful because it showed me that what he was saying wasn't true. So I went back up to him at work and I said, what you're saying is not true. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you said this about the Bible. And I went home and looked it up. And I'm, so I, I showed him my Bible. That's just not true. That's what, what the Bible says. He went, huh. Then he said something else. Every, this went on for 18 months. Every time he said something, I went and bought a book. Every single time. And every time I came back and I defended my God in my Bible, every single, lovingly. I wasn't mean to him, very lovingly. So about 18 months later, I come to work one morning and he, he shows up with his hair all messed up. He hadn't shaved, looked like he had been sleeping in his car for several days. He walks in and plops down in his chair. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, she left me. I said, your wife left you? And he, he loved his wife. And he said, she left me. And he said, I've, I deserve it the way I've been doing. And I sat down next to him and I said, now you've been acting like the tough guy the whole time I know you. And you've been acting like you know everything about everything. And I'm telling you, I love you. And Jesus loves you. And it's time for you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He received Christ that morning. His wife received Christ and they got back together. Because I made up my mind, I'm not a salesman, I'm a Christian salesman. If you're a teacher, be a Christian teacher. And I'm not saying we go around blabbing about Jesus and making people feel bad. I'm just saying, before I represent Jimmy, I represent Jesus. In the way I act, in the way that I talk, in the way that I live my life, your influence is more powerful than you'll ever know. What is the purpose of your life? Serve Jesus. Let me tell you the story, the last story, and I'll close. Jesus told a story. He said, when the man, Son of Man comes in his glory with his holy angels, I'm going to take the nations and separate them like the sheep separates goats. And I'm going to say to the sheep, I was sick and in prison, naked, hungry, and you came and ministered to me. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you sick and in prison or hungry or naked or anything like that? He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. But then I'm going to take the goats and I'm going to put them on my left and I'm going to say I was sick and in prison and hurting and naked and hungry 
and you did not do this, you did not help me. And they'll say, Lord, when we, they said, Lord, they called him Lord. When did we see you? And he said, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Here's my last two words for you. Love people. This entire judgment had to do with how they treated people. And not just people, disadvantaged people. How they treated people. The way that we treat people shows us our hearts toward God. You cannot disassociate the way you treat people from your relationship with God. This is 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And what this is saying is if you're mistreating your wife, don't pray, God won't listen to you. Now, Karen, quotes this to me quite often. <laughs> Can you imagine? Karen goes, I'm looking for a scripture to quote to her. Do not quote scriptures to your husband or the Lord will smite thee. Something like that. You can't go treat people bad and think that you're not offending Jesus. And actually, the way that we treat people, it reveals our heart. I mean, it's telling us who we are in our relationship with the Lord. Let me ask you some questions. Are you, are you a gracious person? And gracious means, do you give stuff away that's undeserved? Like God is gracious with us, none of us deserve his love. But he gives it to us anyway because we don't have to deserve it. Are you a kind person? Let me tell you what the word kind means. Harmless to others. It means if you come up to me and you're broken, broken and hurting, I'm the safest person you're going to be around. I'm not going to say or do anything to hurt you. Are you a forgiving person? Do you help people who are vulnerable and in need, the way Jesus was saying? Do you treat people with respect who are different than you, spiritually, politically, ethnically, the opposite sex? Here, here's an important one. Does your activity on social media and in private conversations reflect the love and character of Jesus? And you know, when you go on Christian social media, most people are wonderful. I mean, most, most Christians are just the sweetest people in the world. But there are some vicious ones. And I want to say something real carefully, and I want you to listen to me. If you're mean... All of us have bad days. All of us have bad times, especially when you're driving. That's when my Christianity drops to the lowest level. When Karen's driving, I don't think I'm a Christian. And so we all have, we all have bad moments and stuff like that. That's what I'm saying. If you're a mean person, I want you to doubt your salvation. If you're a hateful person, I don't believe you know Jesus. I'm saying if your life is characterized by means, if you don't care about hurting people. I had a Christian man, I heard a, had a pastor one time walk up to me and tell me, and I won't, I won't repeat anything close to the joke, but he told me a joke about disadvantaged people. A joke about people that you should have compassion, and he was joking about it. And I just thought, that's the most cruel thing I've ever heard in my life. When we see people who are hurting, we need to help those people as often as we possibly can. By the way, when Jesus said, the least of these, my brethren, he was talking about the Jews. Here's another question. Do you love and respect Jewish people in the nation of Israel? How could we ever be against the Jews when our Lord is a Jew? I didn't say he was a Jew. I said he is a Jew. And his mother is a Jew. And every person who wrote this book is a Jew. And there are people, Christian people, who are very anti-Semitic. 
very much against Israel. And so I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. Are you prepared to meet Jesus when he returns? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Are you living your life for him? Now, if you know him, you're going to heaven. I'm just saying right there. That's the heaven or hell one right there. Are you prepared to meet him? Because there's a lavish reward, eternal reward for every person who lives their life serving Jesus and for him. Do you love people? Do you treat people as Jesus would? Those are the things, according to Jesus, one entire chapter in the Bible is written for the purpose of telling us how to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. And so you guys have been part of these messages and I, I know that you care. I know just by your spirits that you care. But I want to remind you of the people in this story that were sent to hell called Jesus Lord. And they completely disassociated their relationship with Jesus from how they treated people. But we simply can't do this. Now if you're, wherever you are, I'm going to pray a prayer for those um, that don't know Jesus. You, you don't know Jesus. This, listen, I'm just saying this is the most important moment in all of eternity for you. There'll never be a, a point in eternity more important than this point right here. So I want you to bow your heads if you would. And I'm gonna ask everyone, if you feel comfortable, to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I confess you as Lord of my life. And I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins, that you'll give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to change and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it, you're saved. You, you accepted Christ. I want you to uh, text the word DECISION to 71010. Whether you're in a service or you're watching online and someone will respond to you personally, we're gonna give you a new, we wanna pray with you. We wanna give you a brand new Bible for free our Fresh Start Bible. And so congratulations if you made that decision. That's phenomenal. If you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, just uh, text prayer to 71010. We will contact you personally. If you have a family need, a financial need, a health need, whatever it is, we will pray with you personally. If you want to connect with Gateway Church, you just want us to help you in some way, text CONNECT to 71010. Let me pray for everybody. Lord, we, we love you so much. We're living in a day like Noah, where there are just violent, immoral people all around us living as though there's no tomorrow. But Jesus, we want to be a good witness for you, but we want to be faithful to you until you come. And I pray that you would comfort us and give us strength. We're dedicated to serving you with the talents that you have given us. And we are dedicated to loving people with your love until you come. Holy Spirit, fill us up with power, love, and a sound mind. Wherever we go this week, I pray that you would use us to show your love and your truth to someone else. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. What a great message by Pastor Jimmy Evans. Hey, we wanna let you know that we're here for you and we would love to pray with you. If you'll simply text your prayer request to 71010, someone from Gateway Church will reach out to you and pray with you. And if you have any questions about getting connected here at Gateway Church, feel free to text the word CONNECT to 71010. Also, stay up to date with what's happening here by following us on social media or visiting gatewaypeople.com. Once again, we're so glad that you decided to join us this weekend. We hope to see you next week, whether it's online or at one of our campuses. We'll see you then.